to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Good morning, Humanity. How's everyone doing out there? Warmed up after all that awesome dancing around worship? I always break a sweat in our worship. Thank you, band, for helping me keep my 5,000 steps today and my weekly exercise. Uh, my name is Marla Neighbor. For those who don't know me, I am our Connections Pastor here at Humanity Church, and I get the honor of getting to be with you today. And I'm going to talk about a lot of things that are near and dear to my heart today, and God really drove home some themes in my own life that's always uh, wonderful and messy. And so I'm bringing my full self to this talk today with you. And I was listening earlier when we were singing that, that song, So Will I, you know, God speaks in a thousand and galaxies appear. And then there's that one part that everyone always bursts into cheers at. And it's the part where we sing about our failures disappearing, right? So that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. And then the song that followed that, the Jubilee, the just living in the beauty and the fullness of abundant life in Christ is what we're going to be ushering in as well. So you guys up for that? All right, awesome. Let me pray for us and let's go. Holy Spirit, have your way. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would make today the day. Today is the day that we release our insecurities, that we step out of the shadows, that we turn away from our corners where we're doing life on our own strength, and that today would be the day that we trust you just enough to let you in that crack, just enough, Lord, for you to come and invade our hearts, just enough to see the greatness that you are calling out in us and that you will, hand in hand, walk us into something so much bigger and more beautiful and abundant than we could have ever thought to ask for. Today is the day, Lord, that we say your power is perfected in our weakness, and we boast all the more gladly in who you are because of our weaknesses. And I know they're not going away. I know there are going to be our little buddies from now until the day we have our last breath, that we will always be human in this side. But I also know that there's a lot more available when we're connected to you. And that is exciting to me. And it's exciting to me that it can happen in an instant. That the moment we turn our eyes to you is the moment you are ready to unleash greatness in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Amen. Real talk, guys. So like I said, this, this uh, conversation is very 
dear to my own life. And I want to hear and know how many of you out here can relate to this, that I have personally grown weary of needing to keep my life all together in my own strength. I am weary of the decisions of my day-to-day being more based on other people's opinions than they are based out of my own vision for what's possible. I am weary of striving and performing. I am weary of letting the insecurities of the day rule my perspective about other people and other opportunities that are available. How about you? How about you, humanity? <laughs> and when I, when I slow down, rarely, but when I slow down my day-to-day and I take a moment, usually in the shower, usually on a drive, or when I'm washing dishes, it's the one gift of not having a dishwasher, makes me slow down. But in those moments when I actually stop for five seconds and I think about who, who do I want to be and what do I want to be known for, I think I want to be someone who sees the value in others and calls out the greatness in them. And I don't want to see others' greatness as a personal indictment against me about whether I may or may not be able to do that same great thing. I wanna be the person who is like a heat-seeking missile out to find the greatness in others, the value they bring, and to draw that out of them and to believe in someone whether they believe in themselves or not. I want others to walk out of the room with me feeling taller, feeling like they've got someone in their corner that they have a champion and recognizing the beauty that God inherently placed inside each of them. And the single greatest thief to experiencing that kind of joy, that kind of fulfillment that really only comes with the purpose of watching others' lives expand as a result of being in your presence, the one singular thief to that is our insecurities, our need to prove, our fear of being found out, our determination to take things into our own hands, relying on our own strength when we have a living God on our side, who is our own personal champion, committed to elevating our greatness, but through his perfect power. About 10 years back, I've talked about this off and on, I I lived a short time in Afghanistan, Kabul, Afghanistan, and not Cabo, Kabul, Afghanistan. And during that time, uh, it was just, it was a ridiculous scenario that I even found myself in, the, the honor of getting to be a part of this leadership training company that did on the ground work with men and women of all kinds, just incredible leaders in uh, Afghanistan. And I was the leading director of the women's program for that company in Kabul. And I was... I'm telling you, ridiculously unqualified on paper for this job, like utterly a joke on paper to be able to step into the situations that I was stepping into. I found myself, I think on day three, like fumbling my way into 
meetings and luncheons that I had no clue that I had some of the top governing leaders of the nation sitting next to me. I worked with activists who literally risked their lives day to day to see forward movement in their country. I sat next to the police chief and had conversations around how to transform what they were up to. And I had not a clue. I was in conversations with companies and organizations about these huge thousands and thousands of dollar contracts. I sold one one time on succession. I didn't even know what succession meant. I had never heard that word before in my life in that moment when I walked into that meeting and somehow, God's grace, I'm sure, I walked out with a contract. No clue how. And amidst all those radically unqualifications, I felt free. I felt free. I felt empowered. I felt purposeful. I felt confident because I knew that I knew that I knew that God had me there. He had paved the way every single step for him to open doors for me to be in that space. And I knew how unqualified I was, but I also knew the living God. And I was resting in that power. And let me tell you, it was a trip. And then one day I had this brilliant idea to recruit one of my old friends from the States to come and join me as a co-director in leading the women's program. And it, it was a brilliant idea. It was. It was a brilliant idea until, until she had other opinions about how the program should be run until her very methodical, thoughtful, strategic, cautious pace completely interfered with my fire ready, aim, go, like let's think as we move sort of pace, until I started to lose sight of who I was, until I started to lose sight of my relationship with the vision that God himself had given, until she started to outshine me. Mm. And let me tell you, friends are not, you know, abundant in Afghanistan. So it's not like I had my pickings. I would be at home and then I would be at work with the same five people. And so if you have insecurities and jealousy with one of those five people, let me tell you, it's not, nobody wins. Nobody wins in that scenario, including the very people that she and I were both committed to serving and unleashing greatness with together. And we are in the middle of a series called David. And I do promise we will talk about David. We will. The series is named after it, so I, did, I will talk about David. But we are going to spend the majority of our time today focusing on David's predecessor, King Saul, and we're going to contrast the two. Now, King Saul wasn't always King Saul. He was just an ordinary guy, kind of like 95% of the taglines for every great person in Scripture that God seems to be interested in raising up. That seems to be the way they start, including David's story himself, which we will talk about. But at this moment in history, 
There's this guy named Samuel, who may also remember, was a prophet, a seer, someone who was like the spokesperson on God's behalf to the people. And so when, when Samuel shows up on the scene, people listen because he gets it right 100% of the time. So that's where we're going to enter into this story before Saul was king and as Samuel comes in to anoint him. So let's start in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me, their cry for a king. They wanted a king. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man that I spoke to you about, and he will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way, and I will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys, you lost three days ago. Saul's just looking for his donkeys. They got out of his dad's house. He's looking for donkeys. Samuel approaches him. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? We're going to jump down to chapter 10 when he's anointed king. 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting in verse 20. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, long live the king. God handpicks Saul looking for his dad's donkeys, who is in the smallest clan of the smallest tribe of the entire tribes of Israel. And of all people, God says, you, you who feels most insignificant, you whose family of origin would be the least likely to set you up for greatness, you who feels like the last person on the earth, that God would choose to raise to great levels of influence. Yeah, you. You are totally the kind of person that I would love to raise up in leadership and do great things in your life. But have you ever experienced what one researcher, you may have heard of her, Brene Brown, terms as 
foreboding joy. So maybe the career, the career finally fell into place, or maybe you finally got that big purchase you've been saving up for, or you had a breakthrough in a close relationship, or maybe the man or woman of your dreams comes along, and even though this is the stuff that dreams are made of, all you want to do is hide in the broom closet and pray that nobody announces the big news. You know, it's the potential for what could be is sometimes more horrifying than the present that we know. And this is our one first glance into Saul's way of relating to this opportunity with God, his insecurities when he is, God is longing to dramatically elevate his influence and power. Now, you may not be elevated or asked or called to be the next president of the United States. Let's hope not, please, Lord. Um, but ask yourself how you're relating to the last time that you were handed influence or opportunity to be with others in a powerful way. Maybe it was that big promotion, or maybe it was something as simple and powerful as influencing the people in your own home. But how did you respond to that invitation into influence? And how often do we have God call us into something big, into something powerful, and our insecurities win the day, we're hiding in the broom closet, and we turn into our own worst enemies. I mean, I believe that God is attempting to elevate your life. It does not matter where you come from, what your history is, how many mistakes you've made, or any, any of the logical reasons that you have for why you don't deserve or shouldn't have or it won't work in the end kind of thinking. I believe that God wants to take you from the most insignificant little moments in life when you're looking for your donkeys and he wants to lift your head so that you can take hold of the next vision and that new ground that you've been wanting to take in your character, in your leadership, in your relationships because God is constantly on the move and he is constantly attempting to take your eyes off your own insecurities and lock your eyes with him. He is the one who will remind you your confidence is in me. He is the one who will say, with me for you, who, who can be against you? He says, I'm not intimidated by your reasons that things are going to fall apart. I am interested in your trust right now. What if God's trying to elevate your life and you're just in the broom closet hiding out? What if he has been eager, willing, and actively inviting you to embrace that big idea, that dream, that go-again goal that you miss again, but you need to go forward? What if you are missing out on the invitation that he wants you to hope again in that relationship that he's calling you back into that you have given up on or settled in? But because you were too busy with your reasons, you forgot the reason that you were designed to hope in the first place, the one who made you is setting you up. 
He designed us to hope for the deeper things. And he wants to come through for you. He is on the edge of his seat, eager to come through for you. But insecurity is robbing you and I from our most courageous and fulfilling lives. And it is turning some of our most powerful relationships into our greatest competitors. It's blinding us to the faithfulness of a God that we can trust. And it's leaking into our day-to-day decisions about what we see possible. One third of you, humanity, I love stats, such a stats girl. One third of us are ages 25 to 35. Among the folks here and among all of those online, 25 to 35. And the insecurity that typically shows up the most that we see on trend is the comparison conversation amongst each other. The comparison, the insecurities that come up through comparison are robbing you of seeing your own greatness and the greatness of others. One third of you, another third, are our blessed 45 to 65 and up crowd. And oftentimes, your insecurity runs the risk of showing up as apathy. Maybe you compare your present to your past. Or maybe you compare your present to what should have been or where you should be by now, and suddenly comfort and stability become the gods you most serve over the confidence of a God who is for you. And the scripture says, going back, that shortly after Saul was made king, this guy made some whopper insecurity mistakes, okay? Mistakes based off of two things. You'll notice your insecurities have a pattern, and this is Paul's pattern, or Saul's pattern. The insecurity that led to him making a decision out of fear of people's opinions and out of fear that God would not come through for him in time. So he took matters into his own hands. And the scripture says that there was this moment where God is confiding in Samuel the seer, the prophet, the spokesperson, and says, I regret making Saul king. Did you know that it's possible to actually grieve God? We don't often think about God as sad or suffering, but he so deeply longs for you to step into the fullness of your greatness that when you don't choose it, it grieves him to see you miss out on the abundance that he is ready to hand over. He doesn't grieve like a disapproving parent wagging their finger around who needs you to get their act together. He grieves because he knows the beauty and the greatness that lives inside of you and he wants so badly for you to taste that and he's offering you a trusting hand every step of the way. But before you get insecure about your insecurities and the fact that you have them, (laughs) let me just hear me say this. 
we are all Saul's at times, okay? You cannot perform your way out of being human. So make friends with that idea now. You are never going to Jesus your way out of ever having another insecurity your whole life, okay? So this is not about, I need to do better. I need to try harder. I need to do more. I need to just think better thoughts. Okay, this is not about striving or performing or willing your way into making better choices. And then you find yourself right back where you started or sometimes even in a worse place after you've gone again. So what's the solution? Where is the hope in a never-ending human condition that demands that we fake it till we make it? Now, as some of you may remember, David, he was this scrawny young little shepherd boy who was also told by Samuel that he would be the next king after Saul. So God moves from pointing Saul to saying, okay, now David's my man. And for all we can tell, David embraced it. Now, that doesn't mean that a couple of years into that spoken future, that David was not shaking in his shoes, heart beating out of his chest, just scared out of his mind as he is walking towards Goliath, this giant with a rock in his hand, doesn't mean that he wasn't horrified, but his confidence did not come from him having it all together. He told people, take heart. We serve the living God and he will come through for us. So who or what? Are you placing your confidence in? Or maybe a better question is once you know that answer, is it working? That person, that spouse, that friend, that parent, that roommate that you have put so much of your security in, that career, that bank account number, creating that family stability that physical health that you've worked so hard on, that affirmation that you sought so hard for from others, has it given you all you need? What about when that person or path failed you, disappointed you, or went sideways on you? What remnant of clarity in those moments did you hang on to about who you were or who God was for you in those moments? What was left and what or who did you turn to then? What substance, what escape, what other person with a different head? Who or what did you then put your confidence in when that other thing failed you? Now, David, he made some mistakes too. Mistakes that would cost the lives of many. Mistakes that the natural consequences that played out were that his family was ripped to shreds by the end of the story. But he had tasted and seen that God was trustworthy and he was worth it. And he tasted freedom and he stood in the confidence of who he was because time and time again, he kept running back to God. 
who, by the way, had open arms every single time, ready to go again. Saul, on the other hand, was unwilling to surrender the one thing, the one thing that was killing him most, and that was confidence and trust in his own ways. And with Saul's insecurity, as insecurity does, it inevitably led to jealousy and to anger. And now this is, this is where Saul's and David's lives converge, okay? This is where they converge in history, and this is where the contrast between them make Saul's choices even more stark. So after killing Goliath, the giant, David's been anointed by Samuel as the future king. He's not king yet. David's fame grows after he kills the giant. He gets older. King Saul actually starts sending David on all of these missions as a part of his military battles, his army. And then David comes back successful every time. And Saul starts promoting David in rank in the army, and the troops are thrilled about it. They love having David in leadership. And then David's successes meant Saul's victories also in battle because he was serving under the king. And this was really working for Saul until it wasn't, just like my poor sweet coworker. So 1 Samuel chapter 18 this is, as David's fame is growing, we'll see how Saul's insecurities play out in relationships. So 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, this is where jealousy and comparison starts to become the only lens that David can see through, that Saul can see through. And it would cloud his vision until the day of his death at 72. Never released it. Now, let me bring this home. We live in a time where it is not unheard of for a 14-year-old to end their life over social media comparison. Okay, we live in a time where moms have extreme anxiety that their kid isn't measuring up to so-and-so's kid or they're not being the parent that so-and-so's being, I'm sure, perfect. We live in a time where that person on Instagram looks like they have it all together and that suddenly feels like this pointed indictment against who I am as a person. And some of you are so caught up and proving, 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 proving yourselves that you're sabotaging your own efforts, tripping up all over the place, trying to get that respect, that word of affirmation. And when you don't get it, you have to fudge your progress a little, exaggerate, deceive, lie, overcompensate, or just live in fear of being found out. 
Some of you, some of us, are so caught up in proving how unworthy you are that your life starts showing up in such a way that it is just living to prove what a mess you actually are. You are more committed to being right about that story that you are unworthy than, and how terrible you are than you are to actually stepping into the terrifying possibility that God could be calling out greatness in yes, you, you of all people, and that the undeniable beauty he has in you, that you are not an exception to the rule and that there actually is something bigger required of you in that. From the moment jealousy became the way that Saul viewed the world, that lens, that type of lens, that, that insecurity forces you in to in comparison nature, it leads to seeing people as one of two things, either as a tool, like a stepping stone to get where you want to make your agenda happen, or as a threat that needs to be taken out that you cannot have stand in the way of your own personal agenda that you need to prop up your own ego because there is an insecurity that there's never going to be enough. Insecurity is the fuel that will feed that jealousy and that anger to the point that you'll even find yourself like Saul using his own children to prop up his self-serving agenda. No relationship is immune. When jealousy and comparison is the way that you are viewing the world, and then suddenly that insecurity and that fear might turn into anger, and then it can't help but then turn into acts of violence. From the moment that Saul decided David was getting between him and the attention that he deserved, what stirred up initially as insecurity turned to jealousy, then anger, then to a murderous spirit. And that would govern his actions towards David from then on. Now, some of us might think that we're different from Saul in this way. But let me tell you, we're not all that different. Because Jesus said, even one who holds a slow burning anger for someone in their heart, a slow jealousy, a slow anger that builds up in you over time is held liable to the same judgment as murder. And I can tell you, if you are experiencing that slow burning anger towards someone in your life, even if it's someone you don't even see anymore, it will lead to violence through aggressive maneuvers or passive aggressiveness or actively withholding good things from them, or by the power of your gossiping tongue and the slander that you bring on them and talking about them to other people, you are inciting violence in some way, shape, or form. And not just towards that person, but that anger will leak into actions with those around you. And they will get the unfortunate privilege of being the target of that anger, even if they were not the original source. If anyone had a right to be insecure and jealous, it was David. 
He was a loyal supporter. He was putting his life on the line. And here Saul is coming at him. And Saul had everything you could ever want. But instead, David walks in humility and the confidence the living God would have his back. Wrapping up here as we're closing. David spent a lot of time, a lot of time in his relationship with God, talking to him, trusting him in the day-to-day risks and decisions, surrendering his own ego, learning to listen to God's voice and direction, and his choices led to him being in a conversation in 2023 in the Fox Theater around the life that he led by those day-to-day choices to lean on God and actually see the value in people. Because let me tell you, he had a chance twice to kill Saul, and he didn't take it. You know why? Because he told Saul himself, I am going to value your life today because God values you. I am going to value you because who am I to take out the life of someone who God has appointed as leader? And that's the direction he chose. My experience in Kabul, Afghanistan with my co-director, it was a lot of time with Jesus. And then gradually, my heart shifted, my perspective opened, and I started to see the gift that this woman was to me. And as a result of that, 10 years later, she is one of the relationships I treasure most. And we were able to impact 250 incredible leaders in Afghanistan who still to this day lean on the things that went on during those years for the moments that they need them most now. And that would not have been available had I not been willing to lock my eyes with God, see the value that he's placed in her, and to actually lean on my confidence in him instead of needing someone or something to prove who I am and my worth. God's power is perfected in our weakness. His grace is sufficient for us. So here's my last question for you all as we finish. Who all around you is paying the price for your insecurity? And where have you decided to put your trust? Because confidence is not built through perfection. You can't perform your way out of being human. Confidence comes with the clear sense of knowing that the God who is calling you into your greatness wants to be in relationship with you, with you of all people. That voice in your head that says, why me? Yes, you, you of all people. God wants to elevate your life and call you into greatness. And as he does so, as you lean on him, as your confidence comes from him, you will no longer need people to prop you up, to rewrite the story of what your reputation is, to prove to people, to strive or to pretend anymore because you will stand on the confidence that you have a living God on your side. And Jesus is that God. He is the same God of the Old Testament. He is the same God now. He is the same God that today is saying, look, I am ready and eager to answer that cry. I will give you the confidence that you need today. 
Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit that today would be the day. Today would be the day. Lord, I pray that today is the day. Open-handed, open-hearted, that we stop trying to prove ourselves, stop looking to other sources to bring values, stop even trying to prove our unworthiness by going against what you have said about each and every one of us. There is no exception in this room or hearing my voice that does not fall under the gravity of your truth. And your truth with a capital T is that you see us, you love us, you choose us, and you are calling out greatness in us. Let us not shrink back, let us not hide. Let us not be fearful. And Lord, let us be free to confess proudly and loud. God, we are weak, but your power is made perfect in our weakness and we need you and we will lean on you. And when we run from you, we'll return to you over and over and over again into our all dying breath. God, help us to see others the way that you see them. Call out the greatness in us so that we can see the greatness in them that you value each and every person out there. And God, to be a part of that, to be a part of that life, to get to elevate the life of others and be more interested in them and their greatness than in propping up my own, Lord, let us experience that kind of freedom in Christ that we would be made new over and over again, starting now again in this moment. In Jesus' name, Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.